So we're diving back in to our series in the Word of God over the summer, which is entitled Bless. Um, each letter of that word standing for an everyday rhythm of life that we're seeking to redefine and reinvigorate uh, with gospel intentionality. We're looking to uncover and develop practical missional rhythms. Summertime, it's not a time really so much for, for work, is it? Or for um, doing things of kind of toil and drudgery. Rather, we would love to see how the things of our lives, the things that we're a part of and enjoying already, can actually uh, become um, full of God and see the fullness of God come to others. You know, we're preparing, as you know, to re-enter our church building and, and have those gatherings back there in person. Uh, but even so, we're looking to reframe and re-understand not just that one aspect of our lives, as precious as it is, but every part of our lives, in our homes, as individuals, as families, as transformed communities, as a whole church, Gateway Church, we want to have everyday rhythms of life with gospel intentionality. And that gospel intentionality can be defined as doing the ordinary activities of life under the rule and the reign of Jesus. Doing them for Jesus, for the glory of God. And doing them with and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And seeing what God will do uh, with those around us. You know, we are as I've mentioned, uh, journeying this way through the summertime. And, you know, summertime does allow for uh, some more time spent outdoors. I know many of our Transform communities are enjoying meetups uh, through the summertime. And uh, we as a family, uh, we headed the other day out to Wepper Park near Connors Quay in North Wales. It's absolutely fantastic park. Um, we said to our kids after we'd been there, what did you enjoy the most? Was it walking on the boardwalk by the water? Was it climbing up to the castle ruins? Was it the burger that you had? Or was it the skate park? And of course, the thing that they enjoyed the most was the swing, uh, which they could have enjoyed at Birkenhead Park. But enough said about that. Um, we were traveling back uh, from Wepper Park and just before the kids fell asleep, um, Judah had clearly had something of a sensory overload from the morning's fun and he piped up from the back of the car to Erin and to me and said, how did God make everything that there is? How did he make everything that we can see? You know, just small kind of questions that kids love to kind of throw at you. Um, in fact, it's in a long line of theological marvels that Judah has been wrestling with over recent months our um, going to bedtime has been peppered with questions around the divinity of Jesus. He may not put it quite like this, but, you know, that was where he was driving. The nature of the Trinity, that's another area of debate between the two of us. Um, the measure of the love of God, the list goes on and on. Anyhow, in faltering terms, I tried to reply to him like this. God speaks and things are. I said that God said, let there be light, and there was. That God said, let there be the earth and the stars, and there they were. And so in response to, to Judah's fascinating questions, we got to sp talk about the word of God. You can maybe ask Erin on another occasion how she feels that I did in uh, theologically educating my boy. Um, but here's the truth. Because God spoke and because God speaks, here we are. 
And because of this, we can speak because of his creative and sustaining word being so powerful, his saving word being so merciful. Because of God's word, we get to speak also. We get to interrogate this wonder, wonderful creation, to speak into his world of life. We get to speak praise. We get to speak promise. All because God speaks. I see today uh, the everyday rhythm that we're considering is that of speaking. So far we've considered that B of the word bless, which in fact was to bless. Um, and then the L to listen, the E to eat. The everyday rhythms of blessing, listening and eating. Today we're talking about speaking. It's a profound and a powerful sense within the scriptures, within this world, in the nature of God and in our own nature as well. It's funny that we don't give it too much regard. Depending on the research you use, it's been suggested that on average you or I will speak anywhere between seven and 15,000 words a day. Well, to be honest, it's sometimes a little bit tricky, I know, to get Pastor Greg to shut up. So maybe I speak uh, toward the top end of that. But, you know, you get the idea. <laughs> I'm not sure whether to broach the subject as well. But uh, the idea that women talk more than men, apparently it has no scientific foundation whatsoever. Though I did come across an old Chinese proverb which says, The tongue is the sword of a woman. And she never lets it grow rusty. <laughs> what? I said it was an old Chinese proverb. It's not a Bible proverb. I make no judgments whatsoever or comments. I'm too sensible. Anyhow, there are lots of words, aren't there, in our mouths, out there in our world. Uh, truth is, many of the words, they just simply fall out of our mouths without much thought or meaning. Actually, it's not so with the God who calls us to be like him, with the God who calls us to be like Jesus. Rather, God actually rules through his word. I just want to read to you Psalm 29, and, and this and the other scriptures are going to be in the meeting notes for you. It's powerful, it's profound. It says there, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, breaks the cedars of Lebanon. It continues, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. It shakes the wilderness. Here's something, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry glory. Wow, isn't it just remarkable, just even in that, that, that poetic language, to consider the power of the voice of God, the voice of one who is perfectly in control. What else of the voice of God? We glimpse it there, but all through scripture, it talks of how God speaks. God creates through his word. We see this profoundly, don't we, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the things that we've referenced already. Psalm 33 verse 6 tells us it like this. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. This is where it comes from, just the powerful, profound nature of God's word. Not only does he create, set things into motion, but he shapes by means of his word. 
The Bible teaches us he shapes his people through his word of promise. God calls and promises the nation of Israel into being through Abraham, his servant, in Genesis 12. Read verses 1 to 3, for instance. And God, again, speaks a word, calling them out and bringing them to deliverance in Exodus chapter 6. And those first verses, as he speaks to and through Moses, his servant. God not only shapes his people, but he governs all of human history through his word. Through his word of, of prophecy, speaking things into being. You might want to read 1 Kings 13 if you want an intriguing and some, some ways troubling passage of scripture. A striking story of how God's word is shaping and shaking kings and prophets, even men of God. Each and every one of them has to submit themselves to the powerful word of God. When, when God speaks, we would all do well to listen up. And again, God extends his purposes. Indeed, he extends his kingdom of grace and love and peace through his word. You'll be familiar perhaps with Mark chapter 4 and, and what we call the parable of the sower, but there in verses 13 and 14, it's described as being the sowing of God's word. These are the, the seeds that are sown, God's words, and the fruit that grows up from the word of God that goes out. God speaks with purpose and power. God speaks clearly and compellingly. A God who speaks a word of invitation and of challenge, who speaks grace and truth. Does anybody want to speak a little bit more like that God, like their father God? I know I do. I don't want my words to be, to be just prattling noise. I'd rather my words had that kind of meaning, that kind of potential. I'd rather that God was speaking his words through me, that kind of gospel intentionality. So just like last week, when we considered how to make the everyday rhythm of eating more intentional with the gospel, we're going to, as we continue today, spend more time thinking about the intentionality of our speech that, that intentionality toward God and that gospel intentionality toward others. How about speaking under the rule and reign of Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, something remarkable that we can aspire to. And we're just going to sum it up as we uh, finish this uh, opening section. Each week we're aspiring to tell people the story of Jesus and our story with Jesus. Making Jesus a normal part of our conversation. And we're speaking to God through prayer, recognising our engagement, our loving relation with him and our dependence upon him in all things. The promise and possibility of what comes out of this. Well, let's take a moment to let our praises come out of our mouths, shall we? We'll sing again before we come to consider prayer and speaking to God. So in this everyday rhythm, of speaking with gospel intentionality. That's our aspiration, to make God a normal part of our conversation, to speak of Jesus, uh, even to those who perhaps are far from him at the moment. But in order to, to speak such a thing, let's firstly consider our conversation with God. That is our words of prayer. What a wonder this is, that we, you, me, can have a conversation with God. That the one who spoke everything into existence would like to have a conversation with you, with me. It's true. 
And the Bible wondrously shows us that we really do have this invitation to conversation, that we do have access, in fact, to the very throne of heaven, to the king of all creation through Jesus, through his sufferings and death and resurrection, through what he did, what he paid, you can enter. Hebrews 4 and verses 14 to 16 tell us this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Goes on to say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That drawing near to God and the receiving from him. It's interesting, isn't it, that we're instructed, invited to hold fast to our confession. There's something that comes out of our mouths. The Bible says, if we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if this is the truth of all of our lived reality, then we are saved. And, uh, and we want to be people who are speaking that truth, don't we? Entering into the presence of God through Jesus. You're welcome to talk with a loving, heavenly Father. God need no longer be distant or impersonal. Rather, he can be known by you as your Father. This is the encouragement, uh, such a beautiful encouragement of coming to faith in Jesus and through Jesus to know God as your Father. Truthfully, it's only that love of the Father. It is only what Jesus Christ has done for us the way that he has given his life for us, it is only the help of the very spirit of God present with us that ensures that our prayers come to God as acceptable offerings and they are then effective. The Bible says that it's the, the, the fervent or the continuing uh, prayer of a righteous person and that righteousness, that right standing before God comes through Jesus, not through your own endeavours, not through how good you are, not through what you achieve, but through what he has done. You can pray, you can talk to God. And we need to be constantly reminded of this, I think. God isn't moved by how much you know. He's not even moved by how much you've done, whether it's for good or for otherwise. Fundamentally, if you are in Jesus, God accepts you because of that. And we need to be reminded as well, don't we, that our prayers are not effective because of how long or how clever they are. Sometimes, actually, it seems that our prayers are effective in spite of the fact that we <laughs> seem to insist on piling up words. It reminds me of a little story I heard of a visiting preacher who, having concluded the service, was met by an elderly lady at the door of the church. And she told him, oh, young man, that was very good much better than the last preacher we had. And the preacher was pleased and thank you, okay, that's great. To which the elderly lady continued, that preacher rambled on for an hour and still said nothing. Young man, you achieved it in just 15 minutes. I don't know whether that's a, <laughs> a good thing or not, I'm not sure. You don't need to heap up words. You don't need to go on and on and on. God answers our prayers, not because of who you are, but because of who he is and how his character and his sacrifice through Jesus Christ changes our standing before him. He hears us and answers because of his love, 
because of his nature, not because of ours, wondrously, he's transforming our nature to be like his. Prayer, this conversation, that's a part of your transformation. And he answers us out of his nature, out of his character, and out of his wisdom, which means that sometimes, let's admit, sometimes he says no, and he's right. Sometimes he says not yet, and he's right. And sometimes he says yes, but even then not always in the ways that we want, but they are the ways that are best for us and bring him glory. All this is important because prayer, do you know, let's be honest, it sometimes doesn't always come easily or seem to come naturally. Sometimes it seems like a struggle. We won't persevere in prayer just because we feel like we're getting good at it, whatever that means. We won't persevere in prayer because we sound eloquent or fancy. We won't even persevere in prayer because of our good character or, or just because of good things happening in our lives. Be honest with yourself. Sometimes if things are going great, we forget to talk to God. Actually, our perseverance, our passion in prayer comes from a sense of dependence upon God, knowing him and knowing that we need him. Without him, nothing else matters. So, how do we talk to God? Well, firstly, we recognise that our prayer ought to be focused upon him. Prayer is not so much about stuff. Prayer is about God. It's not so much about the gifts that he may give. It's about the giver of those gifts. We focus on his glory. You know, there are countless examples in the Bible of those who have been facing troubles and trials or insurmountable odds or incredible opportunities you know, perhaps sometimes there are those who are facing their own weakness and even perhaps their own wickedness. But no matter what they're facing, time and time again, good prayer in the Bible begins the same way. It begins with, God, you are good. You are glorious. You are gracious. You are in control. You know, we could look at Numbers 14 for the example of those Hebrews on the edge of the promised land and, and Moses praying in spite of their um, of faithlessness and he prays in that way or in Isaiah 36 37 we see a king then King Hezekiah faced with utter annihilation his prayers begin in that same way or let's look at Daniel chapter 9 verses 3 and 5 through to 5 and there the righteous Daniel is faced with the consequence actually of other people's sin how does he pray he says then I turned my face to the Lord God seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So both on the outside and on the inside, he's adopting this posture of God is glorious, even though I'm not. How does he say? I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. What's going on? Well, you know, no matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happening in us, God is still good. God is still God. And when asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray, Jesus sums this up most perfectly and most beautifully. What does he say? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we have everything that we've been talking about, that invitation to God, 
who is now our Father through the salvation of Jesus and that honouring of his name, his personhood, as holy and as sacred to us. God can be your Father and God is God. And what then comes from this? Well, that Lord's Prayer, as we term it, it shows us where we go from this. Jesus said, then pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is power and possibility in prayer. I just want to read to you a few verses as we draw this section to a close from Acts chapter 12. And, you know, this was a time of persecution of the church. James, the brother of John, has been killed by Herod the king. And he arrests Peter, another leader in the church as well. And the Bible tells us that Peter, he was kept in prison, but, verse 5, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. What happens? Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. They were doing everything to keep him in, weren't they? But behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, that is to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. So, <laughs> prayer isn't a gentle thing, is it really? <laughs> he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. I don't know whether it was socks with sandals for Christians in those days. I don't know. But uh, he put on his sandals and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. If an angel says something, well, you'd do it, wouldn't you? And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. It's the powerful promise of prayer. You read on the story, it's incredible. He goes to his friends, the other disciples, and the, and the servant girl who opens the door, she's just astounded. She shuts the door in his face. She can't believe it. Runs to the disciples, and they don't believe it either, thinking that it's his angel, his spirit, who is present there. But finally, he gets let in. You know, we come to a God who loves us, a father. We acknowledge his glory. We declare him to be in control. And then when all of these truths start to permeate who we are, when we're rooted in this kind of a, a love of a father God, the, 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 the glory of a, a sovereign God, then we pray. We pray with passion and perseverance and we see God do incredible things. Come on, let's worship Father God, Sovereign God. And right now you might be wanting to offer your prayers to such a loving God. So we've considered the joy of being able to engage God in conversation, to delight in what he is saying to us and also to know the profound wonder of being heard by God and being rooted in such a love seeing that the wonder works, the power of prayer as well. You know, we naturally want to, to share that joy with others. We come to God in prayer and then we go with God. We speak with God in the conversation of prayer and then we're commissioned by God to speak for him into our world. You know, we've seen already how our words are significant in the ears and in the heart of our Father in heaven. And because of this, they can be hugely significant in the ears and hearts of those around us, our friends, our colleagues, our families. Look, if all this is true, and the Bible and Christian experience says that it is, 
then shouldn't the gospel have priority in our speaking? What does it mean to make something a priority? It might not mean what you think it means. Greg McEwen, he wrote, the word priority came into the English language actually in the 1400s. It was singular. It meant the first or prior thing. And you know, it stayed singular for at least the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we t take that term and make it a plural and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow we would now be able to have multiple first things. How's that working out? Not that great. Did you know that the word multitask was only coined in 1965 by IBM with reference to one of their massive early computers? Well, a computer might have priorities. It might be able to multitask. But you and I, not so much. Simply put, you couldn't actually use the word multitask until the 1960s, and even since you can't do it well. A 2003 study published in the International Journal of Information Management found that a typical person checks email once every five minutes, and that on average, it takes 64 seconds to resume the previous task after checking your email. In other words, because of email alone, we typically waste one out of every six minutes. Anyone else out there guilty? Hmm. I've said it before, but in this strange COVID season, I see and hear so many Christians using their energies, using their conversations, their speech, to get involved in so many things. Trivialities, disputes, controversies. But how much gospel is there in our speaking? Look, you can't achieve more than one priority. You'll move from one to the next to the next, no matter what you convince yourselves of, and we'll waste a lot in the meantime. How much gospel, how much Jesus is there in our speech? What is the priority? Hmm. Set aside some other things. You, I, we can speak to the world around us, the world of your breakfast table, the world of your office, the world of your garden fence. We can be telling people the good news that Jesus is Lord, that knowing and honouring Jesus in our lives is transformative and is good. As we have said already, God rules through his word. Jesus is Lord. And we are called in that priority of speech, that gospel speech to extend Christ's kingdom by proclaiming his word calling on others to submit to the coming king, to be reconciled to God, to know him as father, just as you and I might know God as father. And you might know how Jesus has commissioned you in this. Matthew 28 makes that really, really plain. But listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 to 21 as well. There it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, all of our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a promise! This is what we can make the priority of our living and of our speaking. One last example from the Bible to encourage you and inspire you. In Acts chapter 16, there's a moment, in fact, there's moment after miraculous moment as people's lives are being changed. How? Well, 
Christians speak God's word. A young man named Timothy is brought into Christian ministry. Incredible things happen through him. Peter and Silas are redirected dramatically through hearing a word from God. A key lady named Lydia in the church is is baptised and goes on to do wonders. A slave girl is set free from spiritual oppression, all because the word of God is heard and spoken. And then the guys who have been hearing and speaking, Paul and Silas, they get thrown into jail. There's a lot of stuff happens in jail, isn't there? Praying is a dangerous thing. Speaking the gospel might be a dangerous thing. Look, some of the conversations around us probably should end up in a prison sentence, let's be truthful. But these guys get unjustly imprisoned for the gospel in their speech and the miracles that follow. Let me just read a few of those verses to you. It's incredible. And in verse 25 of chapter 16, it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, they're singing hymns to God. That's a good way of using your speech, I think, your conversation. And the prisoners were listening to them. Yeah, powerful stuff. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But here, speaking, Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. There's a word immediately of salvation. It's going to lead to a greater salvation. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Anybody else want to hear words like that? Ah, I long to hear people saying that. And then they said, Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds And he was baptised at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We've got this everyday rhythm of speech in an extraordinary, not so much everyday circumstance, powerfully bringing salvation to him and to all his household and everybody in the jail, it seems. And this rhythm of eating is a part of the programme. And then next week's rhythm of Sabbath, of celebration, uh, flows on from it. The power of the gospel being the priority in our speech. Talking with God, talking for God in this world. Come on, how might we make make this a reality in our lives? How about you go on a prayer walk around your neighbourhood? might not be an awful lot that you're doing at the moment. You can do this. There's a great resource that is available in the meeting notes there as part of the Don't Waste Your Summer uh, resource we've produced for you. Go on a prayer walk with those from your from your household or from your bubble or socially distanced from your transformed community. How about this? Adopt a local cafe or some local shops. Um, they'll be so blessed by your custom in this season. If you feel that you can do this appropriately, have a view to bless people, to listen to people, to eat with people, and then to speak the gospel to people. All of these everyday rhythms with gospel intentionality. How about thinking about news stories, if you dare listen to the news at the moment, but how does the gospel relate to these current affairs? 
How does that change our conversation? Again, through your Transform communities, we'll, we'll try and get resources to you so that you can think about how you can speak your story. Six words is a great resource. Three circles, another. Four points, all really easily memorable for you and for the people that you're speaking to. Dive into these things. Don't just listen to me. Hey, my words are fine just for this moment, but they're not going to speak to the people around you. You, speaking to your Father God, the sovereign Lord of creation, and speaking his truth into the lives of those around us. Come on. We're going to come around communion right now, and you can allow that reality to speak its grace and its glory into your life. If you don't know Jesus yet, let hear these words. He loves you. He wants to welcome you. You can live life knowing that God is your Lord and your Savior. Respond will help you with that. And we can all be going, not only speaking to God, speaking to one another, but speaking to this world, this grace and this glory. Amen.